Good morning. Good morning. My name is Andrea Simintov, and you're listening to Pull Up a Chair on IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com. Lots to cover today, and yet I must start with a prayer of gratitude. And I hope those of you who have listened to this show long enough know that we sometimes take circuitous routes to get to my main points, but I hope you'll stick with me. Had uh, some interchange, had a little um, exchange back and forth with a listener uh, over the last month. He wrote me a beautiful, very heartfelt letter, and until I was able to get back to him and answer his inquiries, it took me longer than I was actually proud of. Nevertheless, I wrote him a what I felt was really a heartfelt answer, gave it great consideration. A lot of it had to do with issues of Jewish lineage. Uh, is it enough to feel Jewish? Uh, Jewish, you know, it, it wasn't really clear to me whether this listener was Jewish, uh, had Jewish lineage on his mother's side, on his father's side, but he had been told by... Um, I, I, I hesitate to use the word rabbi because I don't know who these people were, men, women, you know, that, that he was Jewish, he should contact, he has a great desire to be part of Eretz Yisrael, Am Yisrael, and he's been in Bekesher, he's been in touch with various Jewish agencies about the potential of making Aliyah, and it was just really, it was so heartfelt that I hesitated to write back because I cherish not only every, each and every listener, but dearly everybody who has a passion for Israel, for the children of Israel, and for our holy nation. And I wrote back information that was accurate based on halacha, Jewish law. I was made it clear, I am not a rabbi, but in terms of Tracing one's Jewish lineage, I stated the fact. What did they used to say on Dragnet? Was it Dragnet? The facts, ma'am, just the facts. And um, this listener was clearly uncomfortable or pained or, or felt that I was part of a great division among the Jewish people. Um, you know, why, why, why can't, you know, it's what's that George Floyd, I believe it was, you know, the great claim which came out of the movement that Black Lives Matter, why can't we just, why can't we all just get along? And it's not as simple as that. And the one thing I must say is when you listen to Israel News Talk Radio, you will hear varying opinions, but you will never, ever be cheated on the truth. The truth, things that are accurate, things that are are, are, are based in Jewish law. You'll get different ideas about things that are happening in Israel. But that which remains, remains. Oh my, this little phone is going on and off. And I do want to also give just a little bit of an example. And I hope that my good friend, JC, is listening. Actually, JC, we heard, <laughs> I thought of something else. His initials are indeed JC. Um, and one of the things is that when you open up a Torah, whether the Torah is was completed just last year, just in time for the Chagim, the holidays, or it's a Sefer Torah that belonged to a, gra- a grandfather, a great-great-grandfather, 
a hundred years ago. The letters in the Torah do not change. The letters are, in fact, if a letter is even slightly damaged, the entire Torah is deemed puzzle. It is not good until that letter is corrected because it does not change. The things that have kept us alive, vibrant, part of, and indeed perhaps the pole star of the human race, do not, for the last 6,000 years almost, do not change. Let me tell you what changes. That perfect Torah with each letter clearly marked, not chipped, not missing, is printed on parchment, not the finest Chinese silk, not beautiful, indestructible naugahyde. It is printed on parchment and rolled in wood. What are the similar qualities of parchment and wood versus the impenetrability of the ink of the Torah, both parchment and wood are porous. They absorb fragrance, they absorb tears, they absorb perspiration, they absorb time. Indeed, the heartbeats in the hands that hold the Holy Torah can be different, indeed are different. What doesn't shift is the law, that which is. In fact, the Bama, the Bima, the platform upon which we stand, in Israel it's generally carved of marble, doesn't change. Yes, the people that hold it might be a little different, but the words they read, the words we ascribe to, the mitzvot, the commandments we observe, do not shift according to whim and new vogue Judaism. And I do promise you that anything coming from beyond this mic, while it may be a tad liberal in her thinking, will never ever veer or doubt the authenticity, the accuracy, and the everlasting correctness of every single letter that appears in the Torah. And that is my answer. Okay, let's talk business. Let's talk business. Business, Andrea, are we selling things now? Oh no, oh no, oh no. I have for you the deal of the century. What is the deal of the century? Imagine, we Jews, we're known for our business acumen. Imagine I come to you and I have a deal for you, dear listener. And I say to you, I'm going to give you a 364% return on a 1% investment. Once you check the Better Business Bureau to find out if I'm accurate, you're not going to, you're going to say, now, give it to me now. I say this a tad tongue-in-cheek when I hear people who say, ugh, I can't, I can't fast on Yom Kippur. 
on Yom Kippur, it's so hard to fast. I'm so hungry. I'm thinking about food. Just a little bit of a, you know, God doesn't want me suffering. If I have a handful of grapes, I have a good cup of coffee, I'll be able to concentrate that much more. Just stop. We wish each other somkal, an easy fast. But I've heard it said, an easy fast. What an opportunity. Let it be a hard fast. Let it be a difficult fast. Even if it's a fast with a little bit of a headache, with a little bit of nausea, with a little bit of fatigue. What a deal for the purity of our prayers. That's all that's being asked. When we open up our machzorim, our Yom Kippur prayer books, and we beat our chests and we say, al chet, al chet, for this sin, for this sin. Remember, the word chet really is, translates to not sin. Forget the fire and brimstone. Don't get your religions mixed up. Chet is that missed opportunity. The missed opportunity of when I was gluttonous. The missed opportunity of when I spoke poorly of a neighbor. The missed opportunity of being depressed when the world was at my feet. The missed opportunities of not giving more. One for one percent investment, a 364% return. My goodness. What a gift. Don't scoff and don't blow it. We're asked so little in return for so much. Quit your complaining. Okay, I wanted to tell you that I had the most wonderful Rosh Hashanah prayer. I was in the holy city of Betel, uh, where Jacob's dream took place, the, the, the dream of Yaakov Avinu. And I was in a very small synagogue. We didn't have to buy seats. Some of the fans worked. Some of the fans didn't work. The chazan, the cantor, was just beautiful. His prayers took us elevated to all different places. And there was a sense, certainly in the women's section, there was a sense of some warmth. But what I wanted to share with you, most of my co-prayers, those who were davening alongside of me, were from the tribe of B'nai Menashe, um, decidedly very, very Asian in appearance. Beitel is a community where many of these people have settled, and they are actually from the Tibet-Burmese border. And some didn't know Hebrew, and some did. And some of the young girls were in army uniforms. And I thought to myself, how holy are we? What a people. If my prayers didn't grab me enough, the prayers of B'nai Menashe that surrounded me were even loftier. My name's Andrea Simintov. I'll see you on the other side.
Hey, hey, we're back. All right, I'm just looking, making sure all this electronic equipment is off and telling you I'm a victim of the buzzing. Are any of you the victims of the buzzing? Yeah. All right, we have so much. I thought, oh, we'll do. I really don't want to do any, we're not going to do any politics. These are such important days. Oh, I forgot to say, I forgot to say, let me just see who's listening in. We have listening in live. I know all of you share the show, and that makes me so happy. Um, that's our reason for living, to make Andrea happy. Um, all right, so they're listening in tonight from the United States. By the way, guys, I'll be in America. Please, God, please, God, safely. I'm going to be visiting America um, for the Chag of Sukkot, actually flying into Washington, D.C., and I'll be in Maryland. Okay, so I'll be there next week, and uh, we'll find out. Maybe we'll have a show next week. Let's see. All right, also, my second home, South Africa, is listening in. God bless you guys. Boketov Eretz Yisrael. And we have Australia listening in. Oh, also we have the Netherlands. Very nice. Australia, the Netherlands, all of us readying readying for a chatimatova, a good signature, not just on Jews, not just on friends of Jews, but the signature for the rest of the world. Um, came across a lovely, I, I, people send this to me all the time. So guess what? I'm sending it to you. Uh, read this. Want to know what you think about it? It's Shabbos table talk. We have two, two Shabbos table ideas. Shabbos table, Yantiv table, and you think about it. Uh, while it's important to act properly between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, let's we're, we've all been very careful, careful about idle gossip, careful about uh, lashon hara, speaking badly. Perhaps it's more important to act properly between. Yom Kippur and Rosh Hashanah. Yeah, put that one in your pipe and smoke it. I like that. Um, yeah, that's a little bit humbling, right? And so also I came across something else. For those of you, and we're going to get to this whole idea about, you know, I'm not redeemable. I'm not, I'm not worthy. I'm, I've made so many sins. I'm such a, a defective person. Again, this is the Just Stop show. Just Stop. I don't know where I had seen this. It might have been, um, it wasn't James Baldwin. It, it's a, it was something that jucks, you know, just jumped out at me from, from black literature. And I remember this wonderful line. I think it was a line of a little girl. And she, I tried to look, I actually tried to look it up this morning. I looked for, uh, in Lorraine Hansberry's Raisin in the Sun, which has fabulous quotes, but it's not from Raisin in the Sun. So my, my search was, uh, fruitless, but it's just says, God don't make no garbage. Okay. So there is nobody listening in that is without qualities that scream redemption. Anyway, Rabbi Avraham Tversky, may his memory be for a blessing. He writes in his book, Smiling Each Day, a lovely little volume. And this is what Rabbi Tversky says, and you take this to your Shabbos table. If you are not more spiritual today than you were yesterday, you've lost ground, not merely failed to grow. A person does not remain static if one is not progressing, one is regressing. And we know this. 
We know this, says Andrea. Uh, we know this from the construction of the base Hamikdash, the Holy Temple. The steps up to the Ar- the no say the rise to the Aron Kodesh to the Holy Ark was not steps on steps. We have 12 step programs. How many steps? Buy something from Ikea. You have to take the steps. Um, On steps, you could stop. Tomorrow, I'll continue. But no. It was a ramp. A steep ramp. Uh, I don't know how many of you have ever seen that show, like American Ninja or any of those crazy competitions, and they have these ramps. And when these guys start running up the ramp... I shouldn't say just guys, it's women also. And when they start running up the ramp, they start and you see they fill themselves and they run with such incredible force because without the force to get up the ramp, they'll lose their footing and they will slide down. They will regress. Well, that is how the ramp to the Holy Ark, the Aaron Kodesh was constructed so that people Realize that to stop was to regress, meaning in everything we do. Okay, so we are really hip deep, not knee deep, (laughs) hip deep into the 10 days of repentance. We all know the first two days were Rosh Hashanah. I mentioned the B'nai Menashe because those two days of Rosh Hashanah are the days, they're the people days. The days when we connect to one another, the days where we try to look into the hearts of our neighbors and try to, um, via osmosis, via tefillah, via to prayer, via the, the Holy Spirit, gain a glimpse into that which my neighbor needs. That if my neighbor is lacking, my life is not complete. But now we are into readying ourselves for Yom Kippur, the 10th of Tishrei. So um, the Rambam writes of these days that even though accept, uh, even though repentance and calling out to God are desirable at all times, during the 10 days between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, they're even more desirable. And our tefillot, our prayers, will be accepted immediately as it is stated seek god where he is to be found i have heard so many times and i i sheepishly admit that my protests were included among this sort at another time of my life who am i to have the chutzpah the unmitigated call to stand in front of God and God saying, give it to me, baby. It is not for us to declare that we are unworthy. That's God's arena. In the moment of our sincerity, in the moment of our heartfelt plea, we are pure, like a newborn child. Free of chet. We haven't missed those opportunities. When we raise our fists to the sky, figuratively, I might add, and say, please bless me with. Toss your shame to the side. Present your bakasha, the request to the heavenly court. 
Your plea is as valuable, as worthy of consideration as that of the greatest righteous person because you do not know your barometer, your scale may have nothing to do with Hashem's. So call it out, ask, be sincere in the moment of your prayer, be sincere and just do it. These days, of course, are filled with halachot, laws and customs, such as the recitation of salichot. Um, these are these are these are the forgive me prayers. My husband is at them right now. Of course, he has to double down because he's doing it for me. Blowing the shofar and other other um, aspects of Jewish law. So, how do we greet one another during this time? Sometimes we just say shana tova, shana tova. Have a good year. But for those of us in the know, and that includes you, we say gemar chatimatova. May you have a good sealing or a good final sealing in that book of life. These aren't just words, but we are in giving each other that bracha, that blessing. We're actually expressing our faith that all will be rectified in these days and we truly will be blessed with a sweet new year. There's a lot of different additions, but remember, we all want for one another. If I'm praying and I don't give a darn about anybody else, I'm missing the point. Most important is what I wish for you, what I wish no less for myself, so then we reverse it. All right. Um, this is a very nice article. Bah, bah, bah. Oh, yeah, we have two minutes left. So I'm going to just share something that flirts a little bit with what's going on in the world today. But we can't avoid it. Rabbis, those who call themselves rabbis, Jews indeed. Alan Dershowitz, controversial. Difficult sometimes, but he says it very succinctly. Rabbis should not protest Israel, the land of Israel, in front of the UN. And basically, if any of you want this article, write to me, Andrea at IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com. I'll send it to you. But apparently a group of reforming conservative rabbis are planning to protest against Israel tomorrow. They have nothing else to do. They're going to claim that their protest is not against Israel, but against Benjamin Netanyahu. I tell you, my friends, we don't need our enemies. They're giving credibility. Please, put it aside. We'll talk about it after Simchas Torah. Let's celebrate one another. My name's Andrea Simintov. I'll see you on the other side. We're back. 
Andrea Simintov, pull up a chair, Israel News Talk Radio. I said it's so New York. Israel News Talk Radio. Israel News Talk Radio dot com, where the action is, where the holy action is, and indeed, most important, where the accurate action is. Okay? Um, and everybody, just the way children deserve truth, adults deserve truth. And uh, I think there was a great line. Jack Nicholson says it in A Few Good Men, A Few Great Men. The truth. You can't handle the truth. Yes, you can, dear listener. You can handle the truth because you're listening to us. All right. Again, if you have any questions, like to um, jot me a note. Something from the show is interesting, not so interesting. Um, write kindly, please, God, kindly, to Andrea at IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com. Love to get the letters. Love to um, interact. All right. So this week's Torah portion... Um, is Ha'azinu. Now, it's very funny. We're very, we're very Yom Kippur-centric. That is the truth and most of the focus. But I would be remiss by not talking about um, this last Parsha. And, of course, anybody, according to Rabbi Wine, Rabbi Beryl Wine, um, anybody who is familiar with certainly the patterns of human history are going to understand. We've seen it before. Those of you who love Jews, who know Jews, and are fascinated by the quirkiness of Jews, that our numbers are our numbers and the contributions we make in the world, this has been covered a great deal, is indeed very disproportionate to, you know, our numbers, what we do. And our effect on human history. There's a game, seven, seven, um, Six Degrees of Kevin Bacon. My sister is a uh, champion. All right. The world story is dependent, indeed, to a great extent. We believe this on the Jews and the oppressors of the Jews. They continually arise. Unfortunately, there's never a dearth of enemies. But eventually, as promised, they're always defeated. But, of course, only after they create an incredible amount of damage to not only Jews, but to their nations and to the world. We survive. It's been promised. The prophecy. Remember? Remember Rabbi Akiva laughing at the foxes running over the ruins of the Beis Hamikdash? Ruin. Complete, utter ruin. And he left. Because it just celebrated the accuracy, the efficacy of the Torah. And it's all true. We've been promised to never disappear. But in the process of rebuilding Jewish life, uh uh-huh, yawn, yawn, always new enemies. Nobody learns anything from past history and events. Not the Jews, sadly, and not our enemies. And the pattern suggested in this Parsha continues. In essence... That is the substance of the Chumash's, the, the Torah's warnings against worshiping strange gods or what we call idol worship. And fill in the blank. We're not just talking about pestles, the, the, the wooden and stone figures that were built by um, Terach, Abraham's father. We're talking about influencers. We're talking about the internet. We're talking about Netflix. We're talking about TikTok. We're talking about the Washington Post and the New York Times. All of these strange gods, 
They've already proven themselves false in earlier history. But oh, they just dress them up differently. So the main question that Rabbi Wine asks about Jewish history is the one that faces us today. How do we break the cycle? Ha'azinu is a song. And Moshe Rabbeinu suggests that only with a full-hearted return to the values and traditions, not bastardizations, not skim-milk versions, not Jewish, but authentic Judaism and the traditions of the covenant between God and Israel can end the vicious cycle of hate and destructive. I have to toss my two cents in here and say, our enemies are not more wowed with us when we eat kosher style and marry their children and aren't too Jewy. The respect comes when we respect ourselves. And if our leaders are not celebrating the authenticity of our timeless values, it is time to get yourself another leader. The rebellion of Jews against God's covenant brings with it the rebellion, yes, the rebellion against decency and common sense. Moshe makes that quite clear in his words. And the truth of the matter is, as we close out this year in holiness and purity, is that even though this song of Hazinu is the one that Moshe commands the Jewish people to commit to memory and to regard as the eternal witness of Jewish history, uh -uh. the Jews still don't quite believe it. They think they're going to make an improvement in our time. We keep stumbling through the fog of getting it different, getting it better, letting current events sway our mindsets and our heartbeats. We're trying to psychologize, immunize, tiktokerize our way out of our problems. What does Moshe ask the people of Israel, the children of Israel to do? Trust. Trust the way. The terrible tendency to repeat all of those past errors and search for the latest cultural and societal fads to reform it, kosher style it, and meld into the masses and hope, 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 magically to hold on to that lineage that says, Oh, I'm so proud to be Jewish. Trust is built on wisdom. Keeping the program. Towing the line. The song of Hazinu provides us with abundant examples of these necessary traits that alone will guarantee our future survival and success. Just this week, I went to a family bat mitzvah. 
a bat mitzvah celebrating a young Jewish girl coming of age at the age of 12. Yes, not 13, the age of 12. Bat mitzvah. And I saw people that I knew, people who were struggling, people who were sad, people who were financially under terrible pressure, people who were dealing with illness in their families. And then they showed this slideshow of this bat mitzvah. You know, they they have this requisite slideshow. And sometimes the family, the sisters, the brothers do a a little show, a little spoof, a little vaudevillian act. All this was was a slideshow of the bat mitzvah girl and her sisters. And it was peppered, a couple of the parents, a couple of the grandparents. But it was all about the children. It was only seven minutes long. Seven minutes of un bridled, unadulterated nachas, nachat, pride, reward. That which we are put into this world for, the continuity of all that is kosher, all that is holy, all that has meaning. And with each new generation, we hope. We hope looking at the bat mitzvah pictures and the little girls and the naches and the children that filled the room that it'll be one more generation of continuity. That they won't be diluted by the distractions of false gods, false truths the oxymoronic legacies. Sivan Rachav Meir, the media personality, teacher, writer, gal about town, asks a question and it says, do you feel a unique energy in the air? To which Andrea says, yes, I do. I really do. Every conversation, certainly every conversation that I am having right here in Israel is Shana Tova, Gamachatima Tova. We're optimistic. These are, not a, these are not days of bleakness. If that's the way you grew up, if that was your Yom Kippur upbringing message, the umbrella tenor of these days, Toss it, chuck it. Yes, it's serious. But it's a gift, an opportunity that only we as Jews get to embrace in its fullness. Non-Jews are definitely part. They're part and parcel of the message of the bracha of the year. But they are a group. We want our non-Jewish friends to succeed, to be kind, to prosper. Because their prosperity, whether it be spiritual or monetary or social, can only reflect well on the world. But the optimism of every single girl, I mean girl, every single Jew, do you think, was that 40 yet? Um, I'm thinking of girls, a lot of girls in this family. Um, is absolutely a gift, a gift not to be squandered. You don't open up a box from Tiffany's and throw it over your shoulder. You hold it in your lap a little while and say, gee, this is important. I better keep my eye on it.
um, even those who are the most hopeless, who feel that there's no light at the end of the tunnel, open a window, let in the air, breathe, and there is a flicker of life. Because you know what? According to Rahav Meir, just by letting in that little glimpse, that little crack, what did they say? There's, a, there's an Eish Torah book called The Eye of the Needle. You see millions of people within whose hearts a sincere belief takes hold that there really is incredible opportunity for this year to be beautiful and, yes, my friends, different. It's going to be better than before. How much we cannot take for granted this capacity to believe in the power of goodness, in the power of kindness. All we have to do is say, bless me, God. Give me, give us, give mine, bless us. And then let the blessings begin. story. Look, watching the clock here. I must share this story with you. The story was shared by, you know, my, my new friend who doesn't know me, Rabbi Ephraim Goldberg of Boca Raton. And he wrote this note, a story. And I read this story and I tried to memorize it and take notes. So I hope, little ear itch, I hope you'll have patience with me. Uh, we'll try to get the facts ac- accurate, even if Andrea does put a dramatic spin here and there. Let me take a sip. Okay, um, so great story in Cairo, um, Cairo, Egypt, and we know Egypt plays a massive role. We sometimes have listeners from Egypt, not here this morning. Hopefully they'll hear it on podcast. Um, there is a, a, um, a community in Cairo that had a, a synagogue for, oh, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, and it was called the Ben Ezra Synagogue. I don't know if it's in existence today. If anybody wants to research that, let me know. Maybe Todd in California, you've been given your assignment. So the Ben Ezra Synagogue had a room, we call it the Geniza room. And what Geniza is, Geniza are, to the best my best ability to describe it, are holy texts, Writings that contain God's names, prayer books, uh, Passover Haggadahs, um, um, any kind of um, Chumashim, Torah writing, Gemaras, that have God's name. We don't toss it in the trash when it's done the way you can with a novel. And I'm not going to name the novelists that I give you great permission to toss into the trash. But anyway, we put it into Geniza, and it is so holy, so holy, God's name. That we don't, that we don't toss it. We must bury it. And in every Jewish cemetery, has a section for Geniza for these um, manuscripts, books, writings to be um, buried. Oh, by the way, I want to just toss out a message and aside. I'm not losing my place. But to one friend in particular I know who listens to the show and sends me the most beautiful, inspiring messages, I just want to tell you, any message that comes with God's name spelled out, the um, the, the Yud-Heh, Vav-Heh spelling of God's name, 
you may not know it, dear, dear friend and dear listener, the source is not Jewish. And you are sending it from a source that is not Jewish. You will notice that I never post that stuff. We don't send out stuff with that name. Uh, certainly not via, you know, memes, despite them being heartfelt, sincere, and really truly appreciated the sentiment. So just take a look and see the source. It's not Jewish. Okay. <laughs> Got that out. So anyway, in this Ben Ezra synagogue in Cairo, uh, there is a Geniza room. There was a Geniza room, and there was very, very dry air, like much of the Middle East. I'm thinking of the Dead Sea Scrolls in our precious uh, Israel Museum. And towards the end of the 19th century, two uh, widowed Scottish sisters, let me say, it was 1896, actually, and the names, we're going to give them credit, Agnes Lewis and Margaret Gibson. I believe they were probably very devoutly religious Christians, and they were remarkable scholars of both Arabic and Siri, Siri, Syriac. Hmm, it has to do with Syria. And so they went into this room in the synagogue. And on their way through Cairo, they picked up, they took a couple of the fragments. And when they got home to Scotland, they shared their purchases of what they got with their good friend Solomon Schechter. Okay, very prominent, um, a prominent personality in modern Jewish history. Right away, Solomon Schechter, I believe he was a rabbi, understood the incredible significance of what they had found. What did they find? So the next year, Schechter went to Cairo, where he immediately established a relationship with the uh, grand rabbi of Egypt. And he was allowed to enter this Ben Ezra synagogue. And for the next four weeks, he was waist deep in uh, with insects and dust, and he went through these um, papers, these these parchments. He ignored the printed books. He only looked at these seemingly uh, um, ancient manuscripts, and he filled four trunks of them. And with the help of the late Lord Cromer, the de facto ruler of Egypt, he shipped the trunks back to Cambridge. Pray tell what was in them. For more than a century, right, more than a century, scholars, biblical scholars have analyzed and deciphered these trunks of, yup, trash, ready for burial. Inside that Geniza dump sat almost 350,000 pieces of writing Little what we call kisvei yad, little uh, pieces, little notes, dating from as early as 870, the common era. Along this treasure trove of documents, get ready, tighten your seatbelts, was a letter signed by the Rambam, as well as a draft of the Rambam's Mishnah Torah that he himself had hand-corrected. So there's a book written about this. Uh, a book is called Sacred Trash, The Lost and Found World of the Cairo Geniza. The historians, Adina Hoffman and Peter Cole, they tell the story about this remarkable discovery that if not for just the curiosity of these two Scottish widows would have disappeared. How much in the world has disappeared? And it has brought to mind our understanding of Jewish history, literature, economics, marriage, prayer, grammar, halacha, Jewish law. 
and every subject you can imagine. It was all covered there. Others saw garbage. Solomon Solomon Schechter saw sacred trash. Um, you know, the, 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 uh, Rish Lakish, we're going to talk a little bit more about him in a moment, but he said, great is teshuva, repentance, because of this, and because of it, premeditated sins are accounted as mistakes. This is all connected. We're talking trash now. But didn't, Reish Lakish also say that great is teshuva, for because of it, premeditated sins are accounted as merits? Say what? Where are we going with this, Andrea? You know, it's understandable that through the process of correction, repair, improvement, we're able to transfer the status of our uh, indiscretions in life into unintended accidents, but merits, good stuff? How is even the most sincere and intense prayer to Shuva called to return? I'm sorry. Can mistakes, shortcomings, failures be transformed into merits, virtues? This is great. In 1968, everybody from wherever you're listening, whether it's the the Netherlands, Australia, the U.S., you all know the product I'm talking about. 3M Laboratories, they were working on to create this kind of super strong adhesive for use in aerospace industry uh, in the building of, I guess, planes and rockets or something. So there was a researcher named Spencer Silver. Okay, any of you know about him, let me know. So he accidentally managed to create a terribly weak, pressure-sensitive adhesive agent. So what does he try? He gives it out in the office, and they try putting it up against a bulletin board. Nothing's going to stick. 3M management, no use for it. And nobody, including Sheldon Spencer Silver, himself could think of a market. Sheld, gone, fartig. Five years later... A chemical engineer named Art Fry, okay? He was an engineer at 3M, and he had an idea. He sang in a church choir in, um, I think it was St. Paul, yeah. So he had this kind of pet peeve. His song page markers of his hymn book kept falling out in the middle of singing. So he had this idea. He went to uh, Spencer Silver, and he suggested they were using that adhesive backwards. Instead of sticking it to the bulletin board, they should put it on, I, I hope, anybody getting it yet? They should put it on a piece of paper, and one can stick the paper to anything and later remove it. The idea took off, and today, apparently 3M sells more than 50 billion post-it notes every year. We all have post-its. It's a perfect example of the discoveries that yielded breakthroughs that would benefit all of us. They were either found by accident or indeed the result of a mistake. Mistakes aren't trash. 
They're not all meant to be discarded, relate, you know, erased, forgotten. They're meant to be teaching tools that enable correction and empower the discovery. Rabbi Soloveitchik writes, sin is not to be, I'm getting teary because I need to share something a little personal in a minute, okay? Not so personal, don't get excited. Uh, sin, not supposed to be forgotten or cast into the depths of the sea. On the contrary, we're supposed to remember it. It is the memory of sin that releases the power within the inner depths of the soul of the penitent to do greater things than even before. The energy of sin can be used to bring one to new heights. Rapsalovetia continues. The Talmudic sage Reish Lakish, who I just mentioned, was renowned as a man who sinned grievously and repented. Repented, according to the Rabbeinu Tam, Reish Lakish was an accomplished scholar before he became a thief. And after he fell into thievery, Rav Yochanan succeeded in convincing him to repent of his ways, and thereafter Reish Lakish became even greater than he had before. How did it happen? Certainly, while he was out thieving and robbing, he wasn't engaged in the study of Torah. What then made him greater after he sinned than he had been before? Sin itself. An atoner, atoner, the penitent, who does not wipe out the past nor tear the pages of sin from his memory, but rather makes a point to use the memory of his sins to enhance his longings for holiness, that they are bursting forth from inside him. Such a person achieves the quality of repentance, which elevates evil to a state of goodness. When we're in neutral, my friends, in a state of status quo, hanging out on the steps, I'll do it tomorrow, not on the ramp, we have confusion of how to get closer to God. What's our next step? What do I have to do? But when we make a mistake, oh, we've carved a path backwards. Of course, the negative is that we also become distanced in our relationship with HaKadosh Baruch Hu. But the potential positive, however, is that we now have a clear path in front of us of what we need to do next and how to draw closer. It's not confusing. Mistakes have actually the ability, it's ironic, to carve a clear path. And that path is a schut, a merit. This, this phenomenon, it's true in all relationships. Think about it for a minute. If I aggravated my partner, my spouse, I've created friction. However, that mistake has revealed for me something important for our relationship. And if I choose to learn from it, there's no telling where the relationship can go. That wasn't seen previously. You know, the Gemara says that teshuva, um, uh, return, repentance, when it's approached from fear, if the goal is, of course, to eliminate the consequences with hard work, the mistake can be erased and treated like an accident. It's okay. It works. 
it's good. Mm-hmm. It's good. But if approached with love, me'ahava, with tremendous dedication and effort, the friction, the discord, that little, um, that uncomfortable feeling in the belly, that can be the catalyst for major revel- uh, revelation, breakthrough in all relationships, yielding closer, more authentic, genuine, loyal relationships than ever before. You know, on Yom Kippur, we weep into our machzorim, our prayer books, because we've practiced a kind of infidelity. We broke our vows with the Almighty in heaven. We've made mistakes. Some of us have created, you know, just performed minor mistakes and others terrible breaches of trust, acts of ingratitude. But with each al-chet sin that we beat into our chest, if motivated only out of fear by a desire to avoid being punished, We can turn our intentional acts into accidental ones. Didn't mean it. We'll be better. This moment of my sincerity is a meritorious moment. Bless me for it, God. But if with each al-chet we come with ahava, with love, with profound desire to use our mistakes and to draw closer, we can turn this crisis into an opportunity. And today can be the first day of a renewed relationship, faith, and love. Unlike Las Vegas, we can renew our vows. Our rabbis tell us, oh, yeah, no, this is important. I need to, I've mentioned this before. You know, I just got back from the, I told you I took the grandchildren to the Israel Museum, and they have an Asian uh an Asian display of of fine, beautiful porcelain from China. And you know, when you see these beautiful porcelain cups, they're almost translucent in their delicacy, but they've been broken. And they've been put back together with 24 karat gold, much more beautiful than they were before. This Yom Kippur, it's the anniversary of Moshe coming down with that second set of tablets the whole luchos that would last. And yet the Talmud tells us that both the whole tablets and the broken pieces sat side by side in the ark. The broken pieces, the symbol of a great mistake and terrible act of infidelity, these weren't discarded, they weren't trashed, they certainly weren't forgotten. They were saved, remembered placed right next to the tablets that were whole and pristine in the Holy Aaron. Mm-hmm. The sacred trash. Amara teaches us that Teshuva was created before the world itself. God knew that we would make mistakes and he provided a tool to recover from them. Everyone makes mistakes. We all come up short. We all disappoint. 
The question is not whether or not we're going to make mistakes. We're going to. It's what are we going to do with them? Our broken luchos, the tablets, and our sacred trash belong in our personal arcs as part of our life's journey, teaching us, enabling us, empowering us, strengthening in us that our personal discovery and breakthrough is indeed holy. I wish you all a tzom kal, an easy fast, and a chatima tova, that the year ahead is filled with robust health and healing, and miracles upon miracles. Shabbat shalom umivorach from Jerusalem. <laughs>